Yeah, so it's, I think, an exciting time here around Grace Bible Church. As I think about all the things that are going on, the new staff, the capital campaign, the roof getting replaced, the renovations in our Grace Kids Wing, uh, I'm thrilled about it all. And truly, I can't wait for uh, you to see everything that's taking place behind the construction zones. But um, as important as the the building is, like I said, the building is only a piece of the puzzle. The building is just a symbol, a piece of the, the ministry that takes place here at Grace Bible Church week in and week out. And we couldn't do any of this truly without you. Each and every week throughout the ministry of Grace Bible Church, it takes a ton of people. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of paid staff, but especially a lot of volunteers like you to keep the ministry going week after week after week. And as I reflected on God's faithfulness to grace over the last 70 years this week, and as I uh, prayed about his faithfulness to us over the next 70 years, I was comforted by the passage we're going to look at together this morning in Mark chapter 6 as we continue our series here in the Gospel of Mark. One of the things we're going to see here in Mark chapter 6, the reminder from the passage this morning is that everything that's taken place All of the ministry that's been going on for the last 70 years is ultimately an act of God's grace. It's not a result of the work of our own hands. And to see that, I want you to open your Bible up to the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. And there in your bulletin, you should have received an outline. We're going to look at two incredible stories here from the Gospel of Mark. Two incredible stories of impossible problems but miraculous solutions. Two impossible problems, but Jesus provides miraculous solutions. The first one we're going to see, number one on your outline, we're going to see Jesus as the provider in the wilderness, the feeding of the 5,000 story. An impossible problem to feed this multitude, this masses of people. But then we see the miraculous solution as Jesus multiplies the bread and the fish and he is the provider in the wilderness. Then number two on your outline, we're going to see yet again a storm on the sea that the disciples find themselves in. And once again, Jesus is going to come and he will prove himself as the protector on the sea. That's Mark chapter 6. Let's take a look at verse 30 through 56 together. Number one on your outline first. Impossible problems, miraculous solutions. First, number one on your outline, Jesus, the provider in the wilderness. Mark chapter 6, notice first, verse 30. Mark chapter 6, verse 30, John Mark tells us, the apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, to the disciples, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So let's pause right here and remember what we saw last week at the first part of Mark chapter 6. Remember at the first part of Mark chapter 6, Jesus sends his disciples out. He sends them out on a mission. He sends them out with the authority to cast out evil spirits, and they do it. 
The disciples of Jesus, it's amazing. They, they go and they travel around and they begin casting out evil spirits. And the text tells us that they heal all sorts of people of various sicknesses and diseases. So the apostles, the disciples, the twelve, they were sent out by Jesus. And now, verse 30, they come back to him. John Mark tells us there, they gather together with Jesus and they report to him all that they had done and taught. So they give Jesus a report of their ministry and everything they've been doing in his name under his authority. But then notice what Jesus says in reply, verse 31. He said to them, okay, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. After hearing about the ministry that the disciples had been doing, Jesus says, okay, I want you to come away now to a secluded place. By the way, the word for a secluded place, it could also be translated as wilderness or desert. And this is a very important detail that we'll come back to later. Wilderness or desert. He says to them, I want you to come away by yourselves. In other words, not with all these people. Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. Why? Because they're tired. They're tired. They've been busy doing the ministry Jesus has called them to do, so they're tired. And then notice the parenthetical statement at the end of verse 31. For there were many people coming and going, and they, the disciples, did not even have time to eat. So again, picture this in your mind. Put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. Jesus has sent you out to do a ministry. You come back and report to Jesus everything that you've been doing under his name, in his name, under his authority. And Jesus says, okay, great job. Now we're going to pull away by ourselves and rest for a little bit. You're tired and you're hungry. Now let me ask you a question. What happens when you're tired and hungry? What do you act like when you're tired and hungry? Well, let's see what happens. Tired and hungry, the disciples leave for the secluded place. And then notice verse 32. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. So far, so good. But, verse 33, the people saw them going. And many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities. And notice they got there ahead of them. So again, put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. You've done this great work for the Lord. You're tired and you're hungry. And Jesus says, great, go to a secluded place and take a little vacation, a little R&R time. And so you obey the words of Jesus. You get in the boat. You go to the secluded place. But before you get there, before you arrive, this massive group of people gets there ahead of you. And again, you're tired and you're hungry. How would you respond? What I want you to see is how Jesus responded, verse 34. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Now, the text doesn't flat out say, but again, I'm going to suggest to you that the disciples were annoyed. I would have been annoyed. (laughs) I bet the disciples were annoyed, but notice Jesus' response. He has compassion. 
his compassion on the crowd because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And like sheep without a shepherd, Jesus steps in and he begins to teach them many things. And this goes on for some time. And then notice verse 35, when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and it's already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Again, I love the disciples. I can so relate to them, right? It's like after waiting a long time, they're tired, they're hungry. Jesus teaches and he teaches and teaches and teaches. And you might feel like this on Sunday mornings, right? Uh, You're tired and you're hungry. You're ready to go to lunch. But Jesus is teaching the people The disciples come and say, listen, Jesus, teaching time is over. It's time to send the people away. They need to go and find something to eat. Everybody's hungry. But then notice Jesus' reply. This is the first problem, impossible problem, but notice Jesus' miraculous solution. Verse 37. And he answered them, the disciples, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And the way this is written, the emphasis is on the word you. You, disciples, give them something to eat. I know they're hungry, so you give them something to eat. But then the disciples argue back, verse 37, and they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? This is an impossible problem. Jesus, we don't have enough money to feed this Massive group of people. It would be 200 days wages. 200 days wages to feed this group of people. This, This is an impossible problem, Jesus. But notice the miraculous solution, verse 38. He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. And he, Jesus, commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves. And notice, he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. And then notice verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There were 5,000 men who ate the loaves, by the way, not counting women and children. Here we see Jesus' miraculous solution to this impossible problem. Multitude of people, 5,000 men plus women and children, they're hungry, they're tired, they want something to eat. And Jesus takes, you know the story, he takes... The, the bread and the fish, and he multiplies it. We don't know how, we're not told. But he multiplies it, and everybody, as a result, is satisfied, even with 12 full baskets of leftovers. I want you to notice as well that John Mark tells us Jesus took the food, he broke it, but he blessed the food, verse 41. He blessed the food. And we don't know for sure, but it's likely that Jesus 
gave the very typical Jewish prayer that you would often hear before meals. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And so Jesus here multiplies the bread and the fish, proving what? That he is the Lord. That he is the Lord, that he is the provider in the wilderness. It's an amazing story. This is an amazing miracle. By the way, there are miracles throughout the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, many are unique to the different Gospel writers. Did you know there's only two miracles that are recorded by all four Gospel writers? The resurrection, which is the most important, and the feeding of the 5,000. This miracle right here stood out among all four gospel writers as a monumental moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. And this miracle should be of major importance for us as well. The lesson we see here in the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is that it's not what you have that counts, but it's what you give that the Lord then uses for the ministry he's called you to do. It's not what you think you have ultimately that counts. It's what you give and offer to him that he then uses. He multiplies beyond what we can even imagine to do the ministry he's, in called, he's entrusted you to do. And only in this way can disciples like you and me touch the people who are distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Listen, for the last few weeks, I've suggested to you that God has some ministry for you. I don't know what it is. That's between you and the Lord. But God has some ministry for each and every one of you. If you're a believer, um, if you're a disciple, then he has some ministry for you. I don't know what it is. But I promise you that it involves making other disciples. And at times, that task, that responsibility can be incredibly overwhelming. At times, it's going to take a lot of effort, and you, like the disciples here, might become tired and hungry. But a question I have for you to wrestle with is, as you think about whatever ministry it is that God has for you, what excuses do you come up with for why it can't be done? God, this is impossible. Again, maybe... Like the disciples here in the passage, you're tired and hungry. and You think, man, I just don't have the energy. I don't have the effort. Well, again, ask the disciples how that turned out for them. Or maybe as you think about this capital campaign that we have going on and you think about the sum of a million dollars, you think, listen, I can't write a big check. Uh, I'd encourage you to ask the lady from the widow's mites uh, how that story turned out for her. Or perhaps as you think about the ministry that perhaps God has for you, maybe God's calling you to teach in our Grace Kids ministry or our student ministry, but you're overwhelmed by it because you feel inadequate. You didn't go to seminary, but I would encourage you to turn to the story of Moses who said he was not eloquent of speech and ask him how that turned out for him. What you see throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation through Old and New Testament is that God is in the business God is in the business of equipping you to do the work he's called you to do. 
God is in the business. This is his number one business of equipping you to do the work, the ministry he's called you to do. It's been well said that God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. He's calling you towards some ministry. I don't know what it is, but he'll equip you to do it. So what this first part, number one on your outline, does for us is it should motivate us. It should encourage us to act, to be obedient. And to act on the provision of Jesus for whatever ministry he's called you into. It's a great lesson for us. It was a great lesson for the disciples. But that's not the only lesson that Jesus has for his disciples. Let's take a look now at number two on your outline. Jesus as the protector on the sea. Jesus as the protector on the sea. Notice Mark chapter 6 verses 45 and 46. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples, made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida. While he himself was sending the crowd away, and after bidding them farewell, the crowd, he left for the mountain to pray. Let's pause right here and just, again, imagine this in your mind for a moment. So John Mark tells us, immediately after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus compels, he forces his disciples to get into a boat to head to the other side, to Bethsaida. So he sends his disciples away. Meanwhile, he stays back and he dismisses the crowd. That's the end of verse 45. And then Jesus goes by himself to the mountain to pray. So the crowd has been sent away, the disciples are on the boat, and Jesus is by himself praying on the mountain. Now the disciples have been on the sea before. Remember, a lot of them are fishermen. And earlier in the Gospel of Mark, the disciples were on a boat, on a ship, and they found themselves in an incredible storm, a demonic storm. And as we're about to see, that's exactly the situation they find themselves in yet again. But this time, remember Jesus is on the mountain. This time, Jesus isn't in the boat with them. And one of the things you see, especially in the Gospel of Mark, is that any time Jesus is not with his disciples, his disciples begin to panic. And that's exactly what we see. Notice verse 46. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone, Jesus was alone on the land. And seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. At about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and he intended to pass them by. Now again, remember, the disciples have been on a boat before. They've been on the sea before. And remember, we saw this a few weeks ago, the sea is the place where the demons are. In the Hebrew way of thinking about the world, the sea is where the evil spirits are. You don't want to be on the sea in a storm. That's demonic activity. So the disciples once again are on the sea. The wind is against them. They're straining at the oars. But early in the morning, 3 to 6 a.m., Jesus comes to them. 
He's been separated from them, but now he comes to them walking on the sea. And then notice, he intended to pass them by. He intended to pass them by. What in the world's going on here? And when you read that phrase, he intended to pass them by, please don't understand that to mean he was trying to bypass them. In other words, ignore them and move along his way. He's got somewhere to go. That's not what's happening here. That phrase, pass them by, should connect our minds to the Old Testament when God passed by Moses, when God passed by Elijah, when God made himself known to these men in a very real way. What you have going on here is what theologians call a theophany, an appearance of God, a unique appearance of God. Jesus is walking on the water, only something only God himself can do. He's revealing himself yet again as very God of very God. He's passing them by just like God passed by Moses. He's passing them by just like God passed by Elijah. But I want you to notice the response of the disciples Seeing Jesus, verse 49, when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. Again, you have to keep in mind the sea is the place where the evil spirits are. The word for ghost here is literally phantom. They thought Jesus was a phantom. They thought he was an evil spirit. They didn't recognize him. They saw him walking on the water, but they didn't quite understand who he was. They didn't recognize him. They thought that he was a phantom, an evil spirit. But notice what Jesus says, verse 50. Immediately, he spoke with them and said, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. First of all, those words, uh, take courage, don't be afraid. You see God say this over and over and over again in the scripture, especially when his followers, his people are in distress. Take courage, don't be afraid. But notice Jesus also says, it is I, or literally I am. I am, which is the very name of God we see in the Old Testament. Again, The event going on here is what theologians refer to as a theophany, a manifestation of the transcendent Lord passing by his disciples just like God did at Sinai before Moses. And in wonderful fashion, Jesus passes by his disciples here to assure them of his presence with them. They thought that they were alone. They thought that they were by themselves, but he is present with them Nonetheless, and then notice verse 51, the result. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. But then notice verse 52, they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. John Mark By the way, one of the features of the Gospel of Mark is is John Mark is often pretty harsh or actually realistic on the disciples. And we see this once again. We see that um, the disciples are called out. They're astonished 
John Mark tells us, because they didn't connect the dots. They didn't have insight from their current situation on the boat to what Jesus had immediately done just before that with the multiplication of the bread. In other words, John Mark tells us they they should have connected those dots. They should have understood that Jesus' faithfulness there in the multiplication of the bread should have translated in their minds to now their current situation, their current impossible problem on the boat. But they failed to connect those dots because their hearts were hardened. They were spiritually dull and insensitive. It doesn't mean they were not believers. They were believers. They just weren't connecting the dots between God's faithfulness in the past to their faith, God's faithfulness in the present. They were spiritually dull, spiritually insensitive. They didn't understand who Jesus was and what he was doing. The disciples don't get it. But thankfully, the people do. Notice quickly, verses 53 through 56. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, immediately notice the people recognized him. The disciples didn't recognize him. They thought he was a phantom. But the people now recognized him and ran about that whole country and began to share here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. Wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they just might touch the the fringe of his cloak and as many as touched it were being cured, just like the woman we read about a few weeks ago. But again, John Mark is setting this group, the people, in contrast to the disciples. The disciples don't recognize it. They don't understand. They are spiritually dull and insensitive. But the people here, praise to God, recognize who Jesus is. But in these verses here, we see Jesus as the protector on the sea. We see his presence with the disciples in their fear. And there's a lesson in this story for us as well. Again, I don't know what ministry God has entrusted to you. I don't know what it is that he's laying on your heart, but I do know that whatever it is, there will be opposition. There will be difficult times. But the encouragement is that even though Jesus doesn't remove all the obstacles, he's aware of the obstacles. And he's present with you, even in times of distress. And so what this miracle story in the Gospel of Mark does is it calls us, it compels us to trust in and to act on the protection and the presence of Jesus in the ministry he has for you. To be obedient to whatever ministry he's calling you to do because you can act on, you can trust in the presence and the protection of Jesus for that ministry. And notice, by the way, that, again, John Mark connects these two stories. Often these stories are told uh, two different sermons, but John Mark connects them. There in verse 52, remember, he expected the disciples to connect the dots between the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water. Jesus is the provider in the wilderness. That's the first story. And Jesus is the protector on the sea. That's the second story. 
Jesus provides food in the secluded place, the desert. And Jesus provides salvation on the sea. Food in the desert, salvation on the sea. What does that sound like? It's the Exodus story. It's the Exodus story. There's a definite link here in these two stories with Moses and the Exodus experience as God provided manna and quail in the desert. And as God, through Moses, parted the Red Sea for the redemption of the Israelite people. The Exodus was fundamentally the most significant event for the Jewish people, not only as a reminder of God's faithfulness in the past, but also as a promise of God's faithfulness to them in the future. But what the disciples fail to see here in Mark 6 is that someone greater than Moses is there with them. Something greater than the Exodus is happening before their eyes. And they don't see it. The point here of this passage is that throughout both Old and New Testament, throughout the Lord's ministry with his disciples, he proves his faithfulness over and over and over again. Time and time again, God is in the business of turning impossible problems into miraculous solutions. And along the way, God's people are expected to trust, to depend, and to act on his provision and protection for the ministry he's called them to do. But the disciples don't get it. They're confused. And if I'm honest, and if I bet if you're honest, we often don't connect those dots as well. And so let me ask you, are you overwhelmed maybe with the thought of a ministry God's calling you to do? Maybe God has sent you into a boat or into a crowd to feed a multitude of people and you're just overwhelmed by that reality. Maybe you feel like you're drowning. You feel like you don't have the energy, the resources to make it happen. If so, the encouragement from Mark chapter 6 is the promise, the guarantee that if God sent you into the ministry to do whatever it is that he has called you to do, then he will provide for and protect you along the way. He'll provide for and protect you along the way. So act on the provision and protection of Jesus for ministry. There on the backside of your outline, I've given you some application questions to consider as you work back through this passage. But your one thing for this week is this. The one thing I'd ask you to do, invite you to do, is to ask yourself, to what ministry is God calling you? Again, the ministry here at Grace Bible Church cannot be done uh, without a multitude of people who are entrusted with whatever ministry God has called you to do. But then I'd ask you to ask yourself, what objections and excuses do you have? We all have them. But ultimately, what this passage invites us to do is to trust him to provide for and protect you in your ministry, in that mission, and to act on it. Or to put it another way, do you believe that the same God who provided manna and quail in the wilderness for the Hebrews, 
The same God who multiplied the fish and the loaves in the remote place for the disciples is the same God who's going to provide for you. Do you believe that the same God who parted the Red Sea for the Hebrews, the same God who walked on the sea to calm the fears of his disciples, do you believe that he will protect you as well? So act on the provision and protection of Jesus for whatever ministry he's given over to you. Listen, there are a lot of exciting things happening here at Grace. We have new staff. We have a new roof. We're getting a remodeled Grace Kids area. Hopefully more things to come, and I'm thrilled about all of it. But Mark chapter 6 is a good reminder to me. It's a good reminder to all of us that all of this is possible only because of his provision and his protection. And we're invited to act, to trust, to depend on his future provision and protection for the ministry here at Grace Bible Church. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we are indeed grateful for who you are, for all you've done. We're grateful for the 70 years of your faithfulness here at Grace. And as we continue to think about the future, the uh, things that you have in store for us and through the people of this church, we um, are grateful for the opportunity to trust in your provision and your protection. Father, forgive us when we, like the disciples, don't connect the dots. When we fail to look back on your past faithfulness and see it as a promise as well for your future faithfulness. Uh, Forgive us for, at times, our lack of faith. But Father, I ask and we pray that by the power of your Spirit, uh, because of the presence of Jesus, that we would be quick to trust in him and his provision and protection for the future of Grace Bible Church. God, we love you, we thank you, and now it is our delight, our honor, our duty to sing out with hearts rejoicing for who you are and for all you've done. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.